Hey, I got good news for you. This clock up here this morning has not been set forward. And, and we got all kinds of time. It's 10 o'clock. So, uh, and I'm feeling good today. So here we go. Have you ever found yourself in a conversation with someone and you, and you get in the middle of that conversation and you realize, uh-oh, I don't really feel so good about being here right now. You ever been in those situations? Maybe it worked out something like this. You're, you're walking up to a group of guys and I'm talking to the guys here. You walk up to a couple guys and they're having this conversation. You just kind of walk up. You're the third person. You kind of just stand there and all of a sudden they look at you and they give this affirming look at you like, we want you to get involved in this as soon as you're ready. And then you begin to see what they're saying. And they say something about, man, I just can't believe that guy. He's such a moron. I can't believe he acted that way. Did you know what he did? Did you see that? And all of a sudden you realize, this is going a direction you don't necessarily feel comfortable about. But you find yourself kind of wanting to be there, you know. And you begin to convince yourself maybe that the Lord wanted you there. And, and so you're sitting there, you're not joining in, but you are listening intently as, you know, ways that the Lord might use you to pray for this. And so you're listening in and you began to think, you know, maybe the Lord wants me to pray right now. And so you begin to ask the Lord, please intervene and keep these guys from going any further than they're going, Lord. Just do something, make this stop. And you're sitting there watching it go back and forth, kind of amazed that things are being said. And then it all ends up, it goes to its final end of this self-righteous concern for somebody. And the end sounds something like this. You know, we just need to be able to pray for that guy. Have you ever found yourself a party to a conversation like that? You know, it can really get on your nerves. I mean, you can walk away from that and you can think, man, that is so wrong. I can't believe they do that. You get fired up about it. It just gets all over you. You're just worked up about it. And you decide, I'm going to call so-and-so and let them know what I just heard. And you get on the phone. You're just fired up. You say, you're not going to believe what just happened. So-and-so, they were talking about so-and-so and I. And it just goes on from there. And the end of that conversation sounds something like this. We just need to really pray for them. Those people that just talk about others, they need prayer. And you hang up. Have you ever... Okay, we're going to start a new series today out of Matthew chapter 23. And I want you to know the title. I want it just to sear into your heart. So every time you think about that silly story, think about this title. Here's the title, Matthew chapter 23. I'm not a Pharisee. Am I? That's where we're headed in Matthew 23. Now here's, here's what I'm praying the Lord will do with us through this chapter. And let me just tell you. This is not an easy chapter. This chapter is going to absolutely push every one of us in one of two directions. It's going to push us to the Lord or it's going to push us away from Him. I mean, this is a hard chapter. Alright? So I just want you to be prepared. And my prayer is that by going through this chapter together as a church over the next several weeks, that we will be confronted with the holiness of Christ. And His holiness would move us all to frequent the practice of repentance. And as funny as that story is, all of us have been somewhere in that kind of experience. And it's often not until we see the holiness of Christ that we recognize we are just as much a problem as the person we thought was the problem. That's what Matthew 23 is going to cause us to do. 
we're going to look at these guys who've got some serious problems. And Jesus is going to point them out clearly. And what we must not do is leave every Sunday saying, I'm sure glad I don't have problems like that. We want to see the holiness of Christ and be moved to practicing repentance. Are you with me? All right, let's dig in. Feel a little nervous? Matthew chapter 23. We start off relatively easy today. So if you want to mix next Sunday, it's really hard. Now, the people that aren't here today on spring break, they're going to come back from vacation thinking everything's great, and they're just going to get slammed next Sunday. But you're a step ahead of them, so you're good. All right. Then Jesus speaks to the crowds and to his disciples. Now, what's happened is we just finished three traps in a dead end. These religious leaders have sought to trap Jesus, unable to do it. Jesus sets this dead end and basically says, everybody is going to confront me and I will be the dead end for their life. And they will either be delivered into eternal life or they will face my judgment. And so he's a dead end. And then as he, as he finishes addressing these religious leaders, he then turns to the crowd and his disciples in the temple and he begins to address them. And he says, verse 2, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on the seat of Moses. Therefore... Everything that they say to you, do it and keep it. But do not do according to their works. For they say, but they do not do. But they bind up heavy and hard to carry burdens, and they place them upon the shoulders of men. But they themselves are not willing to lift the burdens with even so much as a finger. Now, all the works that they do, they do to be seen by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and they lengthen the tassels. They love the most important seats in banquets. They love the chief place in the synagogue. They love greetings in the marketplace. and They love to be called by men, rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi. For one is your teacher. And you are all brothers. And you are not to call anyone upon the earth father. For one is your father. Who is in heaven. And do not be called instructors. Because one is your instructor or leader, the Messiah. The one who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be brought low. And whoever brings himself low will be exalted. Jesus addresses the crowds and particularly those who have interest in following him, his disciples. He begins to teach them and tell them about the scribes and the Pharisees. And the first thing he tells them is, 
They sit on the seat of Moses, do what they say. Now, we've got to understand, and context is incredibly important for understanding this particular passage in Matthew 23. When Jesus Christ tells his followers, you need to do what the Pharisees and the scribes say, he is not telling them to do everything they say. We've seen plenty of reasons through Matthew so far that there is a lot that the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, that they do and that they're saying you should do that Jesus doesn't want you to do. But Jesus limits, he narrows the application of what he said by how he's described the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, I want you to do what they say. But he has just said, these guys sit on the seat of Moses. And so what he's just clarified is, what I want you to respond to is what they say that accurately reflects what the law of Moses represents. The seat of Moses represents the law, the Old Testament law. And so Jesus Christ has just commanded them, you need to do what the scribes and the Pharisees say that reflects the seat of Moses, the law. These scribes and Pharisees know the law. They're able to read the law. They're able to tell what the law says. The problem is they're terrible at doing it. And so he says, I don't want you to do what they're doing. I want you to do what they're saying, and what they're saying as far as it reflects the seat of Moses. So Jesus here commands, you are to do the law. They're telling you the law. And when they tell you what reflects the seed of Moses, then you do that. These guys weren't doing that. They were able to tell it, but they were not doing it. They could speak it, but they could not do it. So don't do what they do. Instead, do the law. This is not a new command for Jesus. We saw back in the Sermon on the Mount when we got really into the heart of what Jesus was communicating in his ministry. That people were to do the law. Jesus even said, if your righteousness does not surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees, you're not getting into the kingdom of heaven. He says, I didn't come to do away with the law, I came to fulfill it. He wants us to do the law. He says, you've heard it said, but I'm telling you, this is what you're to do. And he takes a piece of the law, and he fleshes out the intention of the law to the degree that the people were not seeing and understanding. He wants us to do the law. But he does not want us to do what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing. So let's see exactly what they were doing. And uh, let's look at verse 4. End of verse 3 says, they, they say and they do not do. Now here, here's what they are doing. They're binding up burdens that are heavy. And they're placing them upon the shoulders of men. But they're not willing to to lift those burdens with even their finger. They're putting heavy religious burdens on people, but they're unwilling to help them with those burdens. They would rather the people just feel completely weighed down, and they're unwilling to help them because all they care about is themselves. They're just concerned with how they feel about themselves. They're not concerned with how others feel about these obligations that the leadership is putting on them. They're not willing to help at all. They just want people to feel weighed down by the impossible. 
And then he says, in verse 5, that they do their works to be seen by men. So everything that the Pharisees and scribes are doing is with the intent to be recognized by others. They want everybody to see them and to think these guys have it together. These guys are special. These guys are more important than me. They're more valuable. They're they're more worthy. I mean, they want people to see them and absolutely be in awe of who they are. And Jesus gives us a couple of examples of how they're doing this. And the first one is that they broadened their phylacteries and they lengthened the tassels. You'd be saying, what in the world is that? Well, what they would do is they would take these little leather boxes and they would tie them to their foreheads and to their wrists. And inside those little boxes would be written scripture passages. And this was in obedience to commands of the Old Testament, Exodus and Deuteronomy. And this was intended to be an opportunity for them to bind on their bodies the truth of God's Word, so that wherever they went and whatever they did, there would always be a constant reminder of their need to trust in God. Same thing with the tassels, following the command in Numbers chapter 15. They were to put these tassels around the edge of their garments, and the coloring of the tassels, the direction of making the tassels, was from God, and it was intended that these tassels and these binding of Scripture around their forehead and their arms was to be a constant reminder of their need to trust in the Lord. And what did the Pharisees and the scribes turn it into? An opportunity to make them look more lavish, make them stand out more, so that people recognize these elaborate clothes and tassels and phylacteries. They would think, wow, did you see that guy's phylactery, that guy's box? Do you see that guy's tassels? Whoa. That guy's got it together. See, they were using these commands in such a way that their fulfillment of the commands brought attention to themselves. And Jesus says these guys are only concerned about other people seeing what they do and being amazed. Next thing that they did is they loved the uh, most important seat in the banquet. They wanted to come into a party or a banquet and they wanted the important seats to have their reservation on them. They wanted to make sure they got the place so that when everybody came into that scenario and they looked at the position of honor, they were seen. They wanted the chief seat in the synagogue. In other words, they wanted to come into church and sit in the chair that everyone saw so that they could be recognized as being right before God in a place of authority, having extreme value to the success of the worship experience. They wanted to be forefront, front and center. They wanted everybody to see who they were, how special they were. How worthy of honor they were. They went to the marketplace. They were always interested in a greeting. 
They were that person that walks into that crowded area and they're always looking for that person who knows who they are. Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm that person. I'm that guy you're looking for. Hey, glad you recognize me. I mean, they're, they're looking for these greetings. They want this attention. They are looking for honor and significance through the opinions of men. They want to be called rabbi. Because being called rabbi means that they're better than everybody that's not called rabbi. Being called rabbi means that they have more value and importance. That they're not like everybody else. They're special. And that's what they're doing. And Jesus says, you are not supposed to be like them. You're not supposed to be concerned about what others think of you. You're not supposed to be concerned with the honor that comes from the recognition and the praises of people around you. You're not supposed to be concerned with the opinions of those around you that you're trying to secure so you feel better about yourself. That's not what you're supposed to be like. And so Jesus tells us what we are supposed to do. And then he goes into this interesting statement here in verses 8 through um, 10. And he says, you're not to be called rabbi, you're not to call anybody father, you're not to be called an instructor or a leader. Now, this is a good reminder of the importance of keeping things in context. Because if you don't, and you just read those verses, you're going to walk out of here this morning, you're going to do a couple of things, it's going to get you in trouble. All right? You're going to get on the phone with your parents, or you're going to walk into the kitchen at lunch with your, with your dad, and you're going to say... Um, you know, let, let's just say you're, you're Tori Schmidt and you walk into the kitchen and you, and you say, hey, Tori, what's up? And you walk into the kitchen and you say, Tim, what's for lunch? And Tim's like, what's, what's the deal? I'm your dad. Nope, nope, can't call you father. Jesus said so. <laughs> Tim, what's for lunch? I mean, if, if, you do, if you take this passage out of context, you're going to want to uh, stop calling me pastor, which is fine. You can call me Kevin. I'm good with that. But some of you like to call me pastor. And if you read this verse, you're going to conclude, can't do that anymore. Then your boss, you're not going to call him your boss anymore? (laughs) You're not my boss. I'm not calling you that anymore. Jesus told me. I mean, this is not going to work out for you if you take this out of context. So remind yourself of the context here. Jesus is saying that these scribes and Pharisees are using these titles in order to establish among other people that they are more important than anybody else. And Jesus says, guess what? You are all on the same plane. And he says it when he says, you're brothers. You are all brothers. And don't let any of you take a title that gives the impression to you or anybody else that you're more important than the next person. And here's here's the great equalizer. Jesus says, don't be called this because I am your teacher. Don't be called this because God is your Father. And don't be called this because I am your Savior. The great equalizer is that God has made every one of us, and every one of us need a Savior. 
And no one of us is able to save ourselves. We are all on the same plane. We're equal. Not a single person in this room is better than the other. And I'm telling you right now, if I ever begin to use my title as pastor to establish my value above yours, I have become a Pharisee. I'm just going to tell you, that whenever we work through Matthew 23, it would be really good for us to just put church people in the place of Pharisee and scribe. If we would just say uh, pastors, church leaders, church members, instead of Pharisee or scribe, we would be doing ourselves a big favor. Because here's the problem. The Pharisees and the scribes, they knew the truth. They knew the truth. But they had lost touch of what it meant for their lives. If there's anybody in danger of knowing a whole lot about this book, but losing touch about what it really means in our lives, it's us who frequent this book in this place. This is a chapter that's meant to strengthen us through repentance. And we're not to use anything in this life to make us feel like we're more important, more valuable, more honorable than somebody else. We are all on the same plane. And so Jesus Christ says, well, don't want you to think about it that way. And here's what I want you to do. Verse 11. The greatest among you is to be your servant. You're not to be like those leaders. They don't care about anybody but themselves. And they are thriving off the honor of men, the opinions of men. They're getting all their satisfaction from what people think. They don't care about what God thinks. You're not supposed to be like them. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to care about people. So much so that you become a servant of everyone. So much so that you respond by following verse 12. You humble yourself so that God will exalt you. If you want to taste true greatness, Jesus Christ just told us how. It's found in the promise of humility. You humble yourself and you will be made great. Now let's, let's just quickly take a step back and look at the big picture of this passage. All right? The Pharisees and, and, and the scribes, they, they knew the truth they understood this, lost touch with what it meant for their lives. We are in danger of doing the same if we are not hearing what Jesus says here. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they are so concerned about what people think that they have bought into a desire for satisfaction that is promised through the enticement of temptation. These guys actually believe they can find satisfaction in the opinions of men. The honor and the recognition of men. That's what they believe. 
and they've so bought into it that it's led to a complete neglect of what God thinks and what God says. They don't care about God's opinions. They just care about their own opinions and others' opinions about them. And they believe that they can find satisfaction in that. They believe that they can actually find the very thing that their soul wants if people think they're doing the right thing. If people think they are honorable. If people think they are valuable. If they think that they are valuable because everybody looks at them like they're valuable. Like they're doing the right thing. And they bought into a complete and total lie. I want to clarify something for you this morning. The Pharisees and the scribes desire for honor, recognition, and belonging is not the problem. The Pharisees and scribes, they want to belong, they want to be honored, they want to be recognized, they want to be valued. That desire in and of itself is not wrong. In fact, that's common for everybody. Everybody in this place has a desire to be recognized, to be honored, and to belong. We all do. We share that desire. I'm telling you, if you just think about your experience this morning at church, and I hope nobody had this experience, but let's just say that this morning you came to church and no one paid attention to you. No one looked at you as if they cared. No one said hello to you. No one even gave you the hint that you mattered. In fact, what happened this morning for you is completely the opposite. The way somebody looked at you was in disdain, disgust. Why are you even here? The way they interacted with you, if it was at all, was a communication to you that you really don't matter and you're not wanted. If that was your experience when you came into this place this morning, I doubt that you would leave today thinking, that was a wonderful time. So glad I went. I mean, is anybody here like that? No, we all want some level of feeling like we really matter to somebody. We all want that. It's a God-given trait. It's a God-given desire to want honor and greatness and recognition. The problem is how the Pharisees and the scribes went about getting that. And you can see this particularly with youth. You guys are going through stages in life in your teenage years where you want somebody to recognize, you want somebody to honor, you want somebody to tell you that you're valuable. And guess what? That desire's okay. But there's a critical, critical aspect of that desire you cannot miss this morning. Listen. If you think that you can find honor, value, recognition, that you desire in your heart, outside of God, you will come up empty. Students, do you hear me? That's exactly what will happen to you. And my prayer for you this week during your ski trip is that God would so sink into your heart how He honors you, how He values you, that you won't be wrapped up in the value and the opinions of men. Because if you go that route, you end up just like the Pharisees and the scribes. 
The Pharisees and the scribes thought that they could get that value and that honor and that recognition by having these titles, by having these, these appearances, and by having people say great things about them, by having the most important places. They thought they could find satisfaction in that. Do you know what Jesus Christ says about these guys in the end of chapter 23? He says, how will you escape the judgment of hell? The implication is you're not... If you don't care about the opinions of God, you are not going to escape the judgment of hell. You cannot find satisfaction in the praises of men. You cannot find satisfaction in having men approve you and you don't care about what God thinks. It's impossible. Jesus Christ does not want us to be like them. He doesn't want us to buy into that lie that the enticement of temptation tells us. You can be satisfied. You can find life apart from God and His opinions. Wrong. That is a lie. But here in this passage, Jesus Christ gives us the promise of humility. The promise of true greatness. Because God wants us to experience greatness, honor, and recognition so that our souls are fully satisfied. That's what He wants. That's why every time Jesus is questioned or given opportunity to speak towards greatness, He always tells us how to get the greatest greatness. And He did it again right here. He told us, if you try to exalt yourself, and that means you try to do things without recognition of the opinions of God, you're going to come up empty. You're going to find yourself lowered. But if you will lower yourself, if you will humble yourself, you're going to find yourself exalted. True greatness. But let's take a step back and look where Jesus started us out. Jesus started us out in verse 3. Look at this. Whatever they say, you do and you keep it. What did Jesus tell us to do right there? He just commanded us to do the law. That's where he starts us. He starts us with, you better do the law. Now he says about the Pharisees and the scribes that their burden is extremely heavy. Did you catch that? So heavy that people have a hard time carrying it. Incredibly burdensome. And the Pharisees, they don't do a thing to help out. They just let that burden crush people. And then Jesus is telling us to do the law. But if you remember back to Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, what did Jesus say about his burden? Remember that? He said, my burden and my yoke is light. Come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. The Pharisees' burden is heavy. They don't help at all. Jesus said, his burden is light. And if you're burdened by this kind, then come to him. He'll give you rest for your soul. Then Jesus says here in verse 3, do the law. Now let me ask you a question. I think it's a relatively simple question. Let me see. How many of you think this morning that the, that the law as a burden is light or heavy? Light? Anybody? Going once? Going Heavy? Anybody? Yeah, the, the, the burden of doing the law. Jesus Christ said, do the law. 
the burden of doing the law is extremely heavy. Now let me help you with your answer here. Has anybody here ever perfectly obeyed the law of God? Anybody? No? I'd say then that burden's pretty heavy, wouldn't you? Heavy burden. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Don't even lust. Do not murder. Don't even be angry. Have no other gods before me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength. Anybody? Anybody perfect? No. Here's the bottom line. We have all crumbled under the weight of the burden of the law. Now let's put this together. The Pharisees have a burden that is unbearable. Jesus said his burden is light, but then Jesus says, do the law, which is so heavy, nobody here is able to carry that burden. But the Pharisees aren't willing to lift a finger. Jesus Christ lifted his body on a cross. Do you see the difference? You see, Jesus wants us to start with doing the law because the law is intended to be a tutor that leads us to Christ. Because every single one of us fails at keeping the law. Apart from Jesus Christ, nobody has done what God has required. Because of that, when we come into the realization of how we've crumbled under the weight of the law, we have not been able to uphold it. We have broken it at every turn. We are lawbreakers. When we see the weight of that command that Jesus Christ gives, it drives us to humility. And humility is the perfect position to receive the promise of true greatness. It's not until we understand our need, our brokenness, our sin, and Jesus Christ is our Savior that we can experience the promise of true greatness. It is humility that comes under the weight of the law that drives us to humility that is fleshed out as faith in Jesus Christ that results in having Jesus Christ who perfectly fulfilled the law, who perfectly obeyed the Father, give us forgiveness for our sins and transfer to us His very righteousness. It is starting with the weight of the law that we are crushed under that brings us to humility and that brings us to faith in Christ where He removes the burden of the law and replaces it with His obedience so that we might actually say with Him, your burden is light, your yoke is easy, and my burdened soul has found rest in you and you alone. Do you see now why Jesus Christ says, if you humble yourself you will be exalted. There is no greater greatness than the greatness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. When you humble yourself under the weight of failing to obey the law and Jesus Christ saves you and forgives you, you experience an honor and a recognition from Him that compares to nothing else. You no longer have to worry about phylacteries and tassels or anything else that you think you have to do to look good for other people. Your life no longer has to be consumed with what other people think is Valuable. You know why? 
Because in Jesus Christ, you've been clothed with his righteousness. The word of God has clothed you in his righteousness so that you might have the honor that your soul longs for. You don't have to worry about walking into any room the rest of your life and hoping someone recognizes you, values you, honors you. For the rest of your life, you don't have to be consumed with walking into that dinner party or walking into that work engagement and hoping that someone demonstrates to you that you matter. You don't have to worry about whether or not people think you're great. Because the blood of Jesus Christ has invited you into the Holy of Holies. There is no greater honor. Not only that, but if you follow Jesus Christ, you have a promise that someday you'll be welcomed into heaven with words like these, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You know why you'll be welcomed with those kind of words? Because of the perfect obedience of Christ that was experienced in and through your life because of God's grace. There's no greater honor. You don't have to worry about what people say about you, what people call you, what people you know, give you titles or important valuable statements about you. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Why? Because you are now and forever through faith in Jesus Christ under the weight of the law, in humility, trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation. You have been called children of God because He loves you. There is no greater honor You belong to Him. You belong to the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ. And there is no greater greatness. Nothing can compare to that. And I promise you, that has changed my life. You know, there's only one thing that can keep you from the great greatness. One thing. You can say it a lot of different ways, but it's essentially one thing. It's having no concern about the opinions of God, but a lot of concern about your opinions and the opinions of men. You could call it pursuing honor, greatness, recognition apart from God. You could call it self-righteousness. You could call it apathy. You could call it a career. You could call it possessions. You could call it doing what you want, even though you know it's not what God wants. You could call it a lot of things. But I'm telling you, whatever you call it, however you label it, if you give more credence to the opinions of people than the opinions of God, if you don't call God's opinions about you and what makes you valuable chiefly important in your life, you will come up empty. And I'm just praying that we would start this series off by yielding our hearts to the Lord. Confessing to Him we don't want to be 
like the scribes and the Pharisees. We want to feel the weight of the failure to follow the law so that we are driven to humility that brings about dependence upon Jesus for salvation, for forgiveness, for obedience, for joy, for value, for honor. To humble ourselves. That's the only way you can be made great. There is a test. I challenge you to take it this week. The test to show whether or not you've bought into the promise of true greatness. Here's the test. Are you finding that from within you is a growing desire to serve everyone around you because of how much Christ has served you? That's the test. That's when you know you've bought into the promise of true greatness. Trust Christ. Humble yourself. There's no greater greatness.